This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Carpe Diem with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much once again for joining me, rejoining me on this lovely Friday morning. I am your host, Lisa McDonald. This is my show, Carpe Diem. I'm live with the Contact Talk Radio Network, and I am extremely, extremely grateful for this particular guest. Uh, total kindred spirit. Uh, just lovely. And what I'm going to do, as I always do before I turn it over to unscripted dialogue, I'm just going to read a little bit about my guest, uh, Anne Bulio, uh, her bio. Uh, very interesting woman, as you'll come to hear on radio. So, and this bio in particular, what I will say, I always ask people for their bio just so I don't miss out on keynotes that would be worth mentioning and plugging them. And this is unlike any bio that I've received, and you'll come to learn why. So, Anne Bulio, last name means beautiful place in English. Growing up, Anne clung to life for sheer survival, maybe because her father was a sociopath who lived to inflict physical and emotional pain, maybe because Anne's mother was psychotic and spent most of her childhood being pregnant with the child of Jesus Christ. Imagine who Anne was competing with for attention. Anne's background, which she spent decades being deeply ashamed of, has now become one of her greatest strengths. She is an internationally accredited emotional intelligence coach. She is an expert at what makes people tick as human beings and what we can choose to do different to create a happier, healthier, and more grounded life. Anne is also an economist, a CFA, a translator, a public speaker, a, ra- a Reiki master. So, Anne, wow. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much. Uh- Thank you, Lisa, for having me on your show. It's it's an honor and a privilege to to be able to speak with you today. You're like one of my greatest inspirations. Oh, well, that is so lovely. And, you know, ditto back to you, truly, truly. And I already feel like I'm feeling a little shaky right now because I know this is going to be one of those shows. Um, I love all my guests. I'm super-duper grateful for everybody who's provided me the time, the gift of their time to appear on my show. There are some people, whether it be parallels within the story, whether it be people who are truly on the same path, uh, who find each other along the way, such as you and I have done, uh, you know, but there's going to be some F-bombs in here, and there's going to be, I mean, and this goes back to Dove Barron, and we'll get to him. Dove Barron has appeared as a guest on my show a couple of times. He's been highly inspirational in both our lives. Uh, he was a host uh, radio show. He had his own show here with the Contact Talk Radio Network. That's where he got his beginning and was here for almost three years. Uh, knows Cameron Steele, the network owner, very well. Uh, so here we are, and none of us ever knew each other, and now it's like, you know, connecting the dots, two degrees of separation, and as I always say, no coincidences. So, Anne, I really want to dig into um, 
you know, childhood is such a, a pivotal thing. You know, it really molds us. It shapes us. We get to a point when we're committed to the path of having to deprogram, deconstruct, rebuild, uh, reinvent ourselves. And so given the fact that you're obviously very comfortable and the work that you've invested in yourself to aspire to where you're at today, and we'll get to all your accomplishments and what you're doing with your life uh, shortly. But what I would love for you to share with myself and the listeners is take us back to the hell that you were in and uh, what some of us may never be able to quite grasp. But if you can conceptualize for us, you know, explain to us what being a child in your particular home raised by your particular parents did for you. Okay. Um, imagine when you're a small child... Your life is your life. You you don't know any different. So therefore, what you see, you believe that it's like that for every family. Um, but it wasn't. And I started realizing that when I was like six years old. And um, I don't know how far I can go. So if I can't go that far, like out that deep, let me know. Because some listeners, um, beware. No, you go deep. You go deep. Okay. Okay. All right. When I was when I was seven years old, I had I had a cat, and my cat was my best friend. I loved animals. Like how many of you love your cat, your dog, your your piglet, your whatever you know rocks your world. And for me, that was my cat, and I loved her so much. And one day she was pregnant. She was pregnant with kittens. And I was so excited, you know. I found like this pink cardboard box and I put a blanket in it. And, you know, I prepared her bed and I just waited. I watched her little belly get bigger and bigger. My father saw that. And um, he would look at me and say, uh, I'm going to kill them, you know. I'm going to kill her. And I was so... So scared, so scared of him, so scared. And so I watched, I watched the cat, I was hyper vigilant, I watched that cat, and when she gave birth to those kittens, I was so happy. But the kitten, she knew, she, she's, she's a cat. So every day, I would move the litter around with her. She would, she was so weak, you can imagine, she just gave birth and she's moving her kittens around because she knows it's this man about to kill her. And um, so anyway, one day after school, I come back and I'm not fast enough. And I see my father. And um, he's in front of the basement door. And there's a flat rock in front of him. And I see the box of kitten at his feet. And he grabbed one of them. And looking at me, I was frozen in fear. And he went and he smashed their head onto the flat rock in front of him. One after the other. And some people might say, why didn't you say anything? I'm seven years old. What can I do? So I took my anger And I took my tears and I buried them inside of me. And many people might think, wow, 
You must have had a mother, like somebody to take care of you, brother, a sister, someone to look after you. My mother, I barely saw her. She, I did not know at the time she was crazy. She, she, she was my mother and I loved her. And, but she was psychotic and psychosis, the way it works is we either, um, focus on the, a person of the opposite sex or religion. My mother was a nun. When I, you know, when she was 16, she entered convent and she stayed there five years. My dad had a Harley. That's another story. You know, the guy <laughs> on the Harley went to see the nun. <laughs> Somehow got her pregnant. Hmm. Anyway, moving on. And, uh, she, she, she would disappear. I would wake up one morning and my mother wouldn't be there. And no one would tell me what happened. But at that time, she just got sick, got another episode. Like, she would get pregnant. She she would look at me and say, like, you know, I'm I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. And I would say, what? And and she with with the, the Holy Spirit and barely understanding all this stuff. I'm I'm a kid. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And then um, I really grasped the extent of her psychosis when I was nine years old. I came home that day. It was like a, a, a winter. Like it was, you know, late afternoon in the winter. And I had been outside tobogganing and playing and had been at friends and coming home. I see all these cars and I'm thinking, okay, I live at the end of a dirt road in the countryside. What are all these people doing here? And I get inside the house and uh, my mother is screaming. Like screaming. So I, she was in her bed and I walked towards the bedroom and I'm, my father and my aunt, they're trying to pin her down. Now imagine you see people trying to pin your parent down who's screaming like if they're being cut alive. And they're trying to make her swallow a sedative so they could take her away. Because her psychosis had gone so bad, she was completely flipped. All she kept saying was she was the immaculate conception. She was pregnant with Jesus Christ. She was about to give birth again, but nobody ever saw that child. And and that was the, the only way. So being a child, I... I wanted her, I wanted comfort. I wanted her to tell me that everything's going to be okay. That my life's not going to be hell. That she needed to stay there. And when I walked towards her, for that hug that every child wants, she looked at me with those, those empty eyes and she yelled, Go away. Mm-hmm. And I just froze there. And my aunt grabbed me by the arm. And she said, you're disturbing. Go away. Go play. And I didn't see my mother for months. And when she came home, 
I didn't recognize her. I looked at her and she was like this, um, this empty shell. It, she, they had done electric shocks on her. I didn't understand that either. Um, her eyes were black. Under the eyes, it was all black, like almost to her mouth. And she looked at me and she grabbed me by the shoulders and she looked at me in the eyes and she said, Ma petite Anne, ma little Anne, I'll never, never go back there again. Do you hear me? Whatever it takes, I'll never go back. They'll never lock me up again. They no one ever locked her up again because every time another episode of psychosis would come throughout the years, all we had to say was either you snap out of it or you go back. And somehow my mother would find the strength to, uh, to go on. Um, I have five siblings. I'm number five out of six. And when you see violence on a daily basis, that's the food, that's what you eat, that's what you know. I have three brothers. And they're two are older than me and one's younger than me. And my two brothers, they're like, Fridges, what we call fridge in French. They, by the age of 15, 16, they were like six feet tall, pretty broad. And to them, I was this, um, this thing to torture. Mm -hmm. Um, every day they would like, um, you know, they, There'd be a punch, there'd be a slap, there'd be a beating, there'd be, um, and they would say to me, that will toughen you up. You'll know how to stand up to a man, you know, you'll know all these things. Everything was so upside down, so upside down. And many people cannot grasp the, uh, the extent of how scarring these things are. In, in, uh, in real, like, when you move forward in life, you keep burying and burying and, and you think, oh, well, it's, it's the past. It's the past. I don't have to revisit the past. I don't have to revisit the past. I'll give you one more example. Um, my father, to discipline us, because apparently we needed massive disciplining, had, uh, somehow gotten the idea one day to take a winter tire, a winter tire, and carve a whip out of it. And that whip, when it hit your skin, I knew. I don't have to watch Roots or anything like that. I know what a whip on the skin, what it feels like when it makes contact. The stinging, how fast your skin will swell, I know. And I didn't even realize any of that until one day I was about 40 years old. I'm walking on the street 
And all of a sudden, I'm thinking about this, this, and I realized that my father was about my age at that time and coldly had decided, I'm going to make a whip. And cutting that whip out of a tire, the amount of time that it must have taken an effort to have created a tool to punish, I dropped on my knees. I was in the middle of the street and I just dropped and started bawling my hand in my face. It was just like, to me it was incredible, unbelievable. The, the, um, the cruelty that, uh, might have gone through his head. At that time I was unforgiving. I, um, I had no compassion. I didn't ask myself what happened to him in his childhood to make him like that. To me, he was just a monster with a heart of stone. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand. So, it as you have come a long, long way, a long, long way. And you certainly have. And not very often I'm speechless. Um, a few things I'm going to say. Uh, you know, you know, um, this show is about you. It's not about me. But in terms of connection and authenticity and, you know, it takes bravery. It takes courage uh, to share your story, uh, particularly when the story is as raw and as painful uh, as yours. Um, we've spoken on the phone. You know, you know my story. So what I will say is the child in me is hugging the child in you. And... Um, what we both know and what we have learned at very young ages in our lives, unfortunately, is in order to survive hell, particularly when you're talking childhood and you don't have the infrastructure of support and you don't have functional people around you who perhaps are tapped into what's going on with you because they're more immersed in their own situation or their psychoses or their pain or their coping mechanisms or lack thereof coping mechanisms. Um, but you and I both know for where we are today and how we got out of that, uh, what, what was your coping mechanism? Where did you go in your head? Because you do go somewhere. <laughs> I'm yeah. laughing because it's funny. <laughs> but you know what? It, it's, it's, it's morbidly funny. It's, uh, <laughs> it's morbidly funny. Your audience is going to love this. Oh, uh, my God. I moved in the attic. I moved in my head. Okay. I disconnected from my heart. Yeah. At nine years old. Okay. That happened to my mother. My biggest fear was they're going to think I'm crazy. So I'm going to prove to the world I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make friends. So, and I realized that, oh my goodness, if I did what the teacher wanted me to do and be a good student and pull in the grades, she would love me. Mm-hmm. So, because, you know, you have to understand being the fifth one in line The teachers would see me, it's a small town, like was 3,600 at the time. The teacher would see me first day of school. Are you like your brothers and sisters? I had no idea what that meant, but it didn't sound good. So I was, uh, uh, no. 
and I would prove to them. So I started excelling academically. I graduated from high school at 16 years old. I entered university at 16 years old. Um, I paved my own way while I was taking full, like a full load courses. I did my degree, a bachelor's degree in um, translation, English to French. Even though I didn't speak a word of English, that didn't matter. I went into immersion. I did what it took. Four years later, I graduated. I ended up working for the Court of Queen's Bench, the Court of Appeal, and the Supreme Court of Canada. And uh, you think that that uh, was enough for me? No. I thought while doing my degree, I'm like, goodness gracious, I love economics. This is so awesome. So <laughs> I applied for, um, um, you know, to, to, be, to become like to do a master's. And I'm in front of the dean and he looks at my, <laughs> my transcript and he's like, you may might have not noticed, but your languages, this is math. I'm like, so? I can do it. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay, I'm going to pre-approve you for a pre-master's. You will take all the courses, the, the you know, the 3,000 and the 4,000 in economics, including econometrics, microeconomics, and um, you will, uh, we'll see. I'll tell you in a year. I'm like, okay, first microeconomics class, there's all these math- mathematical formula. And instead of explaining to the teacher in mathematical terms, I wrote him an essay on it. <laughs> he looked at me. He was so pissed. He wrote me like two pages of comments. Like I was an idiot, that I didn't belong there to pack up my things. And I grabbed my things and I went and I was like, at the time, six, you know, I'm like 20 years old. I walk in his office. And I put the sheet on his desk and I said, you're a teacher. Teach me. Teach me. Since you're so good, teach me how to write in mathematical equations. I don't know how. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he spent a whole semester teaching me how to go from writing essays and words to translating this into mathematical equations. So I had my master's degree by the age of 22. And then I got hired by the province of New Brunswick. Um, I was a finance economist, level two. There are four levels. I worked under Frank McKenna at the time, loved him. He was a great, pre- great prime minister uh, for the province. And what I did is I did all the cash management. I, I made sure that I took the budget. I peeled through it, all those promises. I put them into dollars. I made sure the teachers were paid, all this stuff. Um, when I didn't have enough money, then I turned to the bond traders and find me 20 millions today. Find me 30 millions today. I'm short. <laughs> I'm short on cash. <laughs> and worked there for a couple of years. And I wanted to, my, my dream was to become the head of the, uh, a treasury in that department. And I was told, uh, by my future husband at the time, that uh, I know your dream, and but uh, have you looked at yourself? You're a woman, and um, you won't pierce this this glass ceiling. You won't. So he says your best bet is to go to Toronto. 
So I moved to Toronto, worked for a year for the Canadian Foundation on Economic Education. I translated uh, an economics book and reviewed it. Actually, it's a book that is uh, still used to this day in primary schools in Canada. But that wasn't enough, so I worked uh, for uh, as a mutual fund specialist. So I was actually right under the vice president uh, for Spectrum Bullock, all the Sun Life funds. I did that too. And then uh, a headhunter found me and they said, you know, we need you. Um, uh, I was I was the youngest AVP, assistant vice president for Tal Investment Management Council. I'm 26 years old. Wow. And I have all the CIBC mutual funds. If you any of you remember back in the early 90s, their uh, mutual fund like performance was abysmal. And um they had lost their AAA rating because the bug, you know, some portfolio managers, they had free reign. So wanting to, to make money or to, to have good performance on the fund, they would invest in like, uh, junk bonds, um, you know, like commercial paper that was really low grade, penny stocks, stuff that people who work really hard for their money don't want to see that. They, they don't want their money to go to waste, especially the people's their retirement fund, their dream. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was hired to set the house in order. So you can imagine those portfolio managers who are like in their 50s, like think Wall Street dudes, okay? And <laughs> in, 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 in the financial world, they're called, they're called swinging dicks. Because that's what they do. They walk around and they swing their dick and they think they can make the weather. And they would, and they would receive my memo saying, you have 48 hours to sell stock A, B, and C before I come in and I sell it for you. Good for you. And they'd walk in my office and it was like, you fucking bitch. And I would just sit there and say, oh, I've seen so much worse in my life. I just still have to sell the stocks. <laughs> Funny and a few, a few things. A few things I'm gonna say uh, because you know our hour goes super duper quick. And uh, again, I can't thank you enough for your candidness and your boldness. I just you've totally stepped into it. Um, I have so much respect, first of all, for not only what you've gone through. Uh, again, lots of parallels. Secondly, I have. Immense respect for anybody who understands numbers, math, and going back to what you were saying not that long ago about your teacher, that just kind of tweaked for me. Uh, you know, we all make poor judgments when we feel we lack guidance in our lives. And so I went through a bit of a turbulent time in my teens and really rebelled against school, institution, teachers, even though I came from a family of teachers. Uh, you know, I couldn't understand why on one particular day I sat a math exam. I think it was grade nine and I was so out of my tree on LSD and I wrote all the answers on the desk and handed in a blank paper. I couldn't understand why I got a big fucking fat zero. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I, I've clearly gotten some stuff together here, but, um, yeah, live and learn, you know, live and learn. You do what you have to do. I mean, the vices that suit you at the time, uh, which, of course, we can look back and go, oh, my God, what was I thinking? I just went from one bad situation or one decision to worse. 
and you create additional layers of things you have to eventually heal from. Some external, some eventually become self-inflicted, perhaps because you don't have the toolbox to know how to properly heal. So fast forward in our lives of being committed to personal development and personal growth every day, somebody who we share in common, who we love dearly, uh, respect immensely is Doug Barron, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show. Had him on my show a couple times. Uh, we communicate quite regularly, uh, refer each other to many numerous uh, key contact people who continue to help our careers. Uh, all about team, all about the we. So I want to hear a little bit about your journey with Dove. What did Dove do for you and how did you come to seek him out or how did he come upon you? Oh, my goodness. The first time I, I met him was that he had uh, a course called uh, Claim Your Competitive Edge. It was the last time he was offering it. And all I remember from those three days was this one sentence. Who are you hurting by playing small? Mm. And I went home thinking, okay, this that that really hit me hard. And But I was still very unconscious, very unaware. And uh, one day, you know, because we, we, we need to, to move a bit quickly here, I, uh, I signed up for his Authentic Speaker Academy for Leadership Program. Mm-hmm. And first boot camp, second day. He asked me to relate a story like I did at the beginning, except uh, I didn't feel at that time that story. I read it like you would read a menu. I'm going to have chicken. I'm going to have beef today. I'm not too sure. And uh, he walked up to me, and I will always remember, he had the bluest eyes. Mm-hmm. And there was so much compassion in them and pain. And he looked at me, and he said, what's the lie, Anne? What's the lie? And I was frozen. I looked at him. What, what, what do you mean, what's the lie? And he started like asking hard questions, questioning my childhood, questioning, you know, my degrees, questioning everything that I stood for my children. I was like this overly protective parents. I wanted to shield them from the world. The world was this awful place. I was, and, and he kept like time for days and days and days. And my, my shell was so thick, so thick. And he kept at it. Mm-hmm. Until on the third day, something in me, it cracked open. And I heard it in my head. It was like, fuck it. Whatever mm-hmm. happens, I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I wasn't okay. Because once that shell cracked open, I got to see that I wasn't truly feeling. I got to see that I did not know who I am because who I am was deeply buried under all the feelings and emotions that I had shut down as a kid to survive. Mm -hmm. And once I got that, oh my God, I started shaking with anxiety. I had no compassion for me. In my world was like this piece, I was like this piece of shit. I was no good. I had gone into my head to survive the world. I had all these diplomas, but I could not feel for me. Things started clicking in my head. Oh, I don't even rest when I'm tired. I eat standing up. 
I, I, I'm in bed in the morning and I'm fretting about, oh my God, what am I going to do today? I'm so stressed out. I'm so nervous. I'm so anxious. I go to bed at night. It's the same freaking thing. Mm-hmm. And I just shook and shook and cried and cried and all my rage came out. And many people around me were deeply afraid. I had to feel the rage that I had against my father for having killed my kittens. I had to feel the rejection from my mother as a child. But the most painful thing, I had to feel, I felt that I had been a ghost in my own life. Mm. I have three children. I love them so much. And to realize that I had been this hologram mother there physically, but not present emotionally, was heartbreaking. I had no compassion. So I just kept crying and crying and crying with all this rage. I became so depressed. I just sank in this dark hole and I stayed there for months and I blocked. I'm not the only one who's depressed. I'm not the only one who's angry. And all these things that I had buried under this beautiful image of this like super accomplished woman in the outside world, it all came through. The facade, all the masks they broke. Mm -hmm. But I had no compassion, so little compassion. And people walked away from me because they would like pull out of it. I can't. How do I pull away from myself? This is, and I went super wide, not deep, because I was shallow. I was still shallow in my feelings and emotions. And I remember, after Dove, like, made that crack in my head, I went to see him the week for mentoring. And I was so angry. And I looked at him and I said, tell me, tell me how conscious am I? And he knew I needed a number at that time. I needed something. And um, I said, he said, 1%. You're 1% conscious. And I just, I collapsed. My whole world collapsed. And he looked at me, he was so kind. And he says, but Anne, with that 1%, I can work. I can work. We can grow it. And I went to work. I went to work on myself. I started from the beginning. What do I need right now? What do I want right now? What am I willing to accept? What am I not willing to accept? What are my Mm non-negotiables? All these things, I started little by little figuring myself out. And as the months went by, once the rage is gone, the sorrow hit. Because, see, we get hurt. Before we get angry, we're hurt. Mm-hmm. Or say we get angry because we got hurt. So hurt that is unprocessed becomes sorrow, deep sadness. And anger that is deeply repressed becomes rage. Mm-hmm. So underneath the rage, the next layer was sorrow. And when the sorrow hit, that's when the magic started happening. I remember I was walking on the street and this leaf fell to the ground and I saw it fall. It was green. And I started crying. I was so happy because it had, it, it was alive. And at the same time, I was so sad 
because it was dying. I was holding sorrow and joy at the same time. I started seeing myself in the eyes of everybody on the street. I would talk to prostitutes and addicts and people would say like, like, you know, prostitute would say to me, like, why are you talking to me? Like, I was like, I see myself in you. And they would look at me all well dressed and they're like in my heels and, and so, you know, they were like, why? I said, well, I used to live my life to please others. I used to live my life asking people, tell me what I need to do in order for you to like me. Mm-hmm. I said, how does that make me any different from you? I sold my soul to the highest bidder. It sounds horrible to say, but it's truly how I saw it at the time. And to me, it was magnificent because I started to to stop judging and instead holding people's hands and realizing we're all just a bunch of kids mm-hmm. walking each other's home. And, and then my life just became so, so, so magical. And I became known as this highly compassionate person with a big, big heart. Beautiful. Beautiful, Anne. Oh, just love it. I've got goosebumps. And, you know, as we've talked about, uh, or I've talked about, Dove and I have talked about, and you would be very well aware of this, having been trained by him uh, and working under his leadership, um, you know, we talk very openly about the fuck it moments as opposed to the aha moments. You know, the aha moments are quite fleeting. You know, you get something from it that might be very uh, temporary, uh, but it's the fuck it moments. You know, when you're in the deepest, deepest trenches of pain and hell and you have one way to go. I mean, you're, you're down in it. So you have to ch- choose to go up and to resurrect and to find the light. And you may not know how to carve your way out of it. But there's something within you, the spirit within you that says, I want more. I deserve more. I cannot resign myself to living in constant chronic pain. This is not what I'm here to do. doesn't matter who showed you all the wrong things in the beginning of your life, in molding you and navigating you. Uh, you know, but there's something within the innate inherent spirit within each of us. And I, why I love you and, and why I connect with you, you know, the nature aspect. I mean, I look at what you put on Facebook. It's, you know, I'm, I'm really into nature. It's in my books. Uh, it resonates with me. It's my peaceful place. It's my happy place, my grounding place. I see that with you. Um, you know, going back to the spirit of childhood and you know, yeah, unfortunately, you and I are of, among many people who, as adults, we're fixing all the shit from our childhood. And, uh, you know, we're trying to get exceptionally clear on what some children are very fortunate to have grown up with. You know, the unconditional love, the nurturance, you know, coming into your own love, uh, all that yummy stuff that allows you to feel empowered, to soar. And it's really interesting how people like us, um, you know, we, we've gotten really misguided in terms of, and I understand the accomplishment, you know, like we're very paralleled with that too. You know, it's a badge of honor. I paid my way through college. I paid my way through university. No grants, no loans. I paid for my own friggin' braces. I paid for my own house. I paid for this. I paid for that. And yeah, on the outside to the external world, it looks absolutely fantastic. Wow, you've got all your shit together. And it's amazing. And you can appreciate this and you've already, you know, attested to this on radio here. How many people looked at you 
thought they saw who you were, uh, found it exceptionally impressive, you know, really thought, wow, this, this woman's got it together, had no clue what was going underneath the surface, had no clue the anguish that you were going through to maintain that facade because, you know, you're, you got to get it somewhere. You know, you got to get the accolades, the pat on the back, or at least somebody kind of giving you some type of guidance or reassurance or affirmation to say, you know what, you're doing the right things. If you're seemingly making the right decisions and it all looks like you're going in the direction of monumental growth and momentum, not knowing that it's all being fueled for the exact wrong reasons and unhealthiness, uh, you know, it, it's, it, yeah, you crash. You crash. It becomes a bit of an identity crisis. It's like, what the fuck am I doing and who am I doing this for? And, you know, who's really there to prop me up when I can't make it to work? You know, when I can't do the trades, I can't do the deals, I can't bring in the big dollars, I can't, you know, show up and run a team or whatever. Who's actually there to help you pick up the pieces? And I'm so grateful that Dove was in your life, that he maintains being in your life, my life, and all the other people like Gina Best, who I've had on my show as well, another sister, passion test sister, met her in California, came out to Vancouver, went to your boot camp, you know, presentation. She got an award, heard everybody speak. Um, what I want to say, what I want to ask, Anne, is because you're now still continually successful. So where did the all the other things that you succeeded, all the other things that you accomplished, although you're still very accomplished right now, what was the divide? What 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 said? Okay, I need to break, make a break, and make a conscious choice to not do what I'm doing that is perceivably successful. Um, you know, but knowing that I still have gifts to offer the world and still endeavoring to do things that continually make you look successful because you are generally successful. So, what was the break? How do you go from being successful for the wrong reasons, successful for the right reasons? And staying on that track. It's for me. It's uh, in my darkest moment when you hit rock bottom. You you get to make a choice. I got to make a choice, which was uh, either I stay wounded and uh, rebuild my life, build on the same falsities, getting the accolades, like you say, you know, for all the wrong reasons, or I choose to do different. And for me, what made that difference was that enough. I don't want any child to grow up the way I did. I don't want, and these children, they grow up to be adults. Mm -hmm. These adults end up having children of their own. And the cycles get perpetuated over and over I got that in my heart. So every morning I get up and I know why I do what I do because I want people to come home into their heart to realize that we all matter. We do not have to do or say anything. Just the mere fact that we are here in this moment is enough by itself. And that's what I do. I help people understand that in their head and grasp it in their heart so they can move forward 
doing something different. Instead of having the head leading the way, they have the heart taking the mind by the hand and say, let's go for a walk. Love it. Love it. Oh, you're so speaking to me right now. You truly, truly are in. You're such a powerhouse. Um, I love your abominable spirit. I love your tenacity. I love your self-awareness. I love your commitment to self. Uh, you're very evolved. Um, and no doubt you're making a huge, huge impact upon the lives of others because you're relatable and you're all about relationship and you're all about taking pain. And as I said, ramping up this show where we're very similar, we know how to turn shit and turn it into gold. And uh, that is a gift. It's a survival skill. It's instinctual. It's uh, necessary. Uh, but you've made it work for you so beautifully. And I couldn't be prouder to call you friend. I really couldn't. I, you're just, you're, you're really speaking to me here. Really speaking to me. And um, what I would love for our listeners to know, because there's going to be only about 10 minutes before we have to wrap up here. Uh, and I do want you to part with providing your contact information so people know how to reach out to you. But prior to that, what's upcoming for you? Talk about, uh, you know, you've got some, Workshops coming up, speaking engagements. What are you doing? Oh my goodness, my life is beautiful. <laughs> yay! Uh, yay! Yeah. Um, I have a, a brand new series of uh, transformational workshops on self awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one on the block is uh, next week and uh, next Sunday on May 8th. It's Power of Compassion. I know it's on Mother's Day. But uh, mothers do need compassion, so it would be a great gift uh, for, for your mother to, to send them to my workshop so they understand how to have a bit more compassion for themselves and for the people around them. I talk about commitment, um, trust, faith, all these things, communic- effective communication, things that people think they know what it is. But when it's time to define it and apply it to their life, most people go, I know. And yet they don't do it. There's a difference between knowing and doing. Um, so I'm really pumped about this uh, new series of workshop. We will go throughout the whole, well, one throughout the whole summer, then take a break for a couple of weeks and start all over again. Um, I have, uh, on June 18th, I am part of the 18 speakers lineup for Power Talks in Victoria, which is an organization that caters to women empowerment in the business world and at home as well in personal life. So that's really, really cool. Um, I've got a 90-minute interview, which I'm really pumped, with one of the top business schools in the world. They have this special niche. And they're looking for an emotional intelligence expert who has um, a deep understanding of the Chinese culture. And I do both because I lived in China 10 years and speak Chinese Mandarin fluent. So uh, this, I'm hoping there's going to be like this beautiful partnership there. So, and on top of my, you know, my clients and that, my, my, my cup runneth over. I'm truly grateful. Under the mentoring of Dove, my life has changed in such beautiful ways, magnificent ways. I tell people, it's like I hear the music inside the notes. I'm my own wow. speaker. 
Lovely. I love that. Let me ask you, have you connected the dots? Because, again, there's no coincidences and uh, all a part of cathartic healing. Have you connected the dots on the fact that you're starting your workshop on Mother's Day? I did. I did because I used to be this mother who ate lunch standing at the kitchen counter who folded laundry at midnight. I know many are chuckling right now because it's the only time of the day. I've painted bedrooms at 3 o'clock in the morning because that's the only time that I had that day to, to finish it. I'm going, these- I'm going further back than that, Anne. I'm going further back than that. Not you as the mother, you as the child of a mother doing this on oh. Mother's Day. Yes. Well, of course, it's it's healing for me. It's Absolutely. healing about, you know, my, my own... Mother, because there's a child in me, there's a child in me that, you know, like every children, we wish to be loved, wanted and validated by our, you know, parents. And if we cannot get it there in that place, then we need to get get it somewhere. We need to give it to ourselves. And that's what I help mothers do. I help them heal themselves so they can heal their own children and all the people around them. Beautiful. And Anne, where can people find you? Where can people follow you? They can follow me on Facebook under Anne Beaulieu. So it's A-N-N-E-B-E-A-U-L-I-E-U. My website is walkinginside.com because a life's a journey within. And uh, change is real for the people who walk inside themselves. So that's why where the name comes from. On Twitter, uh, you can find me under capital A N N E B uh, underscore speaker. Uh, and LinkedIn, I'm under Anne Bouly, emotional intelligence coach, author, and speaker. Lovely. Well, what I'm going to do when the podcast is issued, which shouldn't be too long after we go live here, uh, I will put up all your contact information with the podcast, okay? Um, so in closing, and what I want to do is just say thank you so very much uh, for being in my life, for sharing your journey with those of us tuned into radio here today, those who will join in and tune in the podcast a little bit later today. Um, I just want to say that you are such a beautiful spirit, uh, completely resonating with me, uh, have from day one. And I just think you're doing amazing things in this world. And so on behalf of everybody whose lives that you touch, I want to say thank you. We need people like you. We need people who inspire people to remind people it doesn't matter what you're going through. And even though you don't know how to get out of what you're in, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. You're clearly demonstrating that. You have demonstrated that. I want to thank you for imparting such a powerful message here with us today on the Contact Talk Radio Network. So I just want to say I love you, Anne. I'm proud to be your friend. Uh, I follow you. uh, Very inspired by you. And I will cross-promote you everywhere, any day of the week. I just think you're phenomenal. And uh, there's just so much more people can learn from you. So thank you for joining us here today. I really appreciate it. Um, to my listening audience, I want to thank you once again for joining me. I'm Lisa McDonald, host of your show, Carpe Diem. 
I go live every Friday at 11.04 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Hail from Dundas, Ontario, Canada. Network is in Bellevue, Washington, outside of Seattle. Such a pleasure. I don't take anything for granted. I really appreciate people tuning in, the loyal listenership. I want to wish everyone a phenomenal day, a beautiful weekend. Stay safe. Stay true to yourself. Live in authenticity. And just... Keep it real. See you next Friday. Love and gratitude to everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Carpe Diem with your host, Lisa McDonald. For more information, please go to Lisa's website at lisamcdonaldauthor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.